Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, December 29th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are starting Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 30, beginning with most of us. Today's readers are reading the OA 12 Steps is Chrissy M. Reading the OA 12 Traditions is Anne Marie M. And reading the literature are Carmela G., Sharon R. S., and Susie K. The reference number or share ID for Sunday, December 28th, is 7144. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Chrissy M. to read the OA 12 Steps. Hi, I'm Chrissy M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. The 12 Steps. We admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Made... Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to 
to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Chrissy M. I will now ask Anne Marie M. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Anne Marie M., recovered compulsive eater in South Carolina. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters uh, affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be, never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principle before personality. Thank you, Anne-Marie M., How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism on page 30. I will now ask Carmela G. to get us started by reading the first paragraph beginning with most of us. Good morning. This is Carmela G. from New York. I'm a compulsive overeater in recovery for today. Thank you, God. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. 
Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Wow, this is some piece to have to digest. Um, this was my stumbling block. For a good year, I couldn't admit I was a compulsive overeater. I went in the room, I ran away. I'm not like those people. No way possible. I have self-control. There's nothing wrong with me. I can do this. I'm in control. I have a great job. I have a great education. I can handle this. Well, handling it handled me up to over 300 pounds. Finally, finally, one of the fellows said, it's the disease playing with your mind. You're a compulsive overeater. I said, you really think so? She said, yes. And so I looked at it from a different angle. I said, am I like these people, even though I don't eat like they eat? I don't hide in the car. I don't hide when I'm eating. I eat in front of everyone. And if they don't like it, it's their problem, not mine. Well, thank God I was able to see the light and follow the spiritual experience of putting down the food and enjoying peace and losing weight and finally living the road of happy destiny. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Carmilla. <laughs> Who would like to share on this paragraph? Lauren. Larry. I heard Lauren S. and Larry. Who else was there? And Vasa. Kim. Lauren S., you can go ahead. And then there's Larry, Vasa, and Kim. Go ahead, Lauren S. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, S. is in Sam, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a recovered compulsive overeater. Oh my gosh. I could share for probably three hours on this paragraph. So I'll try my best. Oh, my goodness, guys. Okay, so Chapter 3, more about alcoholism. So now we're in the mental obsession. We're talking about the second part of the first step. And we discuss the physical allergy, you know, that's in ourselves, in our, in our nature, <clears throat> But now I'm starting to learn about what happens 
before I pick up. You know, as as we talk about the crux of the problem, and this is this is going to tell me about the the stupid and silly and insane things that I do while sober. You know, the insane things I do while while as sober as I am today. <clears throat> um, oh my gosh, I I'll just pull out. You know, when it says our drinking or our eating or our under-eating or, or body obsessing or weight or, or over-exercising has been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove that we could somehow eat like other people, I have to ask myself, you know, is this me? Like, um, you know, it's easy for me to read this paragraph and and sort of accept it as my truth, but but it's it's another thing to really question this, you know. Even even today, you know, I've I've been abstinent for uh, maybe for about uh, I guess a relatively great great period of time for me. But even today, I still ask myself these questions, like like do I still think that I can control and enjoy my eating, or or control my just even how I live life, you know, do I still think I can I can run the show in any area? Um and and it's gonna use obsession, illusion and and delusion. It's, it's gonna use these words interchangeably, just like uh, like power, choice and control. Um and <laughs> you know what? I think that's all, all I got to share. I, yeah, thank you so much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Larry K. Thanks so much, uh, Larry K., uh, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. So, you know, Chapter 3 tells us that, you know, that all alcoholics, you know, if you have an alcoholic mind like mine, um, you, you know, we have a primary obsession, and that is to control you know, our, our use of the substance and, you know, normal eaters, you know, do not have the the problem of controlling their eating. You know, um, if they have a problem with eating, they simply adjust its use, you know, problem solved. And you and I are wired, um, differently. We're not wired that way. You know, control for, for us remains elusive. We, we, of course, we've learned and, and we know that we have an allergy of the body and we have an obsession of the mind that ensures that we will never solve the eating problems through self-will. And, and never, you know, for me, I don't know about you, but it, it was a harsh reality to accept. Never. You know, and yet this paragraph that we read makes it abundantly clear that, you know, that we press on. You know, I know I did, determined that one day, you know, I'm going to beat this malady. I'm going to beat this game. One day I'll be able to eat like a, like normal, a normal person. And, and then, you know, when we become obsessed, this obsession uh, takes over, this notion that we can, you know, that someday, perhaps with enough abstinence, uh, I, can, I can eat like a normal person. And our, our obsession, you know, makes it very tough to admit that someday we'll never come for people like you and me. We never regain control, never regain control. And, and this is uh, a progressive illness, you know, progressive, which means that, 
that even a prolonged period of abstinence will not remedy the progression. The progression continues even with a long period of abstinence without the, without the, the vital transformational experience that this disease is progressive. And there was a time for me that, you know, one candy bar was enough. Uh, there was a time as a child that I, I could actually, you know, share a pizza. Can you imagine that? Share, you know, I, I could do that. There was a time that I didn't eat in secret. You know, there's someone on the line right now who's been thinking, you know, not me. I'm different. I'll prove them wrong. They're not identifying in. They're looking to identify out. That was me. You know, well, good luck with that. I, I've tried that. And when it says that many, you know, many will take this obsession to the gates of insanity or death. I've seen people that have died from this disease. Um, and it, it, they don't put, uh, you know, compulsive overeating on one's death certificate. They put other things, heart attack, diabetes, you know, other, other, other causes. But I've seen people that, die from, that have died from this disease. I've seen people that are still stuck in that obsession that someday they can beat this thing. They'll find a way through self-will. Self-will will never, ever solve this disease if you're like me. We had to have help from a higher power. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous because it, it did indeed save my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry K. Vasa O, you're next. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm Vasa O, Recover Compulsive Reader, calling from Florida. I'm just so grateful to be here this morning. And I just, it's amazing, this paragraph. I can tell you my whole story, my life story, for 25 years um, trying to control the food addiction. And then, like everybody else, I tried everything by my life, by my control, by my will. It just did not work. And when I came to the big book, I remember reading, of course, the, the doctor's opinion and the mental obsession. And in my mind, like in my mind, I knew I was powerless over the food, and I just could not do it anymore. But to say it out loud, I remember feeling shame to verbalize it by words to say, I am really a compulsive overeater. But that's okay. It's okay even if I had that shame, you know. In In my mind, I knew... I was food addict, you know, and I, it was really hard for me to re- raise my hand and say, you know, I'm food addict, you know. And, and you know, it took me a few times, you know, before I could start raising my my hand and and, uh, and accept it. But I really had no no problem accepting, you know, in, you know, in my mind that I was powerless and I was. It was getting deeper. And I had crossed crossed over, you know. There was no way going back. There was no more trying to explore to find the solution anymore there. And I was ready. I was just so, so ready to surrender. And I'm just so grateful that I'm here and, you know, just to pass it on, you know. I'm so grateful I have found the solution. And now we can, I can share my experience, strength, and hope, passing our, our Pass it on to others. 
because I was that hopeless person. If you know, if God saved me from this deadly disease, He has the power to save anybody. And you know, and I never thought I thought I was going to die being in this disease. So it's there; it's available to all of us. If God did for me, He would do it for any of any of them. You know. So thank you for letting me share that path. Thank you, Vasa. Kim G. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I can't even get past the title of the chapter, you know, more about alcoholism. You know, for many years, I thought that my problem was food and weight. And in my meetings, they often start out the meeting by saying, are there any other compulsive overeaters here besides myself? And I would raise my hand. And what I realize now that I've learned what the true nature of my illness is, is I was raising my hand saying, I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore. Or I'm no longer fat and I'm terrified of getting fat again. And if really food and weight was my problem, then abstinence would be my answer. The perfect food plan and abstaining from those foods that create the craving would be the end of the story. But this chapter more about alcoholism is the reason I need to come to Overeaters Anonymous. I don't come to Overeaters Anonymous because of the allergy. See, abstinence would cure that. I come to Overeaters Anonymous because of the mental twist, because of the obsession of the mind that will not allow me not to go back to the foods that I triggered my allergy. You know, this book does not tell us don't drink. It doesn't tell us don't drink. It tells us we're going to drink. This whole chapter is about people that are sober, not experiencing the craving, and pick up anyways. And we're being told over and over again, you are going to eat. You are going to eat unless you find a spiritual solution. Because let me tell you, I was a victim of the delusion that I could wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I managed well. If only I could make my life circumstances in such a way that I would not need to eat. That was my problem. So I know we can't see each other on this line, but I want to take a survey. How many of you have eaten when you're happy? How many of you have eaten when you're sad? How many of you have eaten when you've had a good job? How many of you have eaten when you've been unemployed? How many of you have eaten in a bad relationship? And how many of you have eaten in a good relationship? If that's my reality, then it doesn't matter how much I wrest satisfaction out of this world and manage well, because the mental twist is going to come in and take me down. And I think of this meeting that I went to um, a while ago. Oh, actually, I don't really have time to say that. I just want to say... That, that the 12 steps says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening as the result of abstinence. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the tools. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of getting the perfect sponsor. Having had a, result of, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing a 90 and 90. It says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps because my ultimate problem, my, the crux of my problem is this mental twist, which I have no defense against that first strength. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. This is Bella. Can I share? Leah. Happy Kay. And Leah and, and Amy. Kay. And Amy. 
Okay. Bella, go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recover compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rebecca, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, I like this paragraph. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. Yes, I was there. I was there. I, it, I didn't want to accept and admit that I am a real compulsive overeater. I am only a little bit. I am not like everybody else. You know, when I started the program, I didn't want to say it loud, but I said to myself, this was my way of thinking, well, I will continue to come, but I am not a real compulsive overreader. I am only a little bit. I still have a control. Now, thank you. You brought me the awareness. You brought me the, to be aware that I have a disease. But no, no, no. I am only a little bit in this disease. I have the control. Well, no, it doesn't go together. I thought that Okay, now I, be, I will be connected to God, but still I will control my disease because I have the power to control. I can do it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I know. No, I am a compulsive overeater for real. Yes, and if I want to be in recovery, I have to give up my control because it doesn't go together. If I want to be connected to God, I have to accept and admit that I am powerless. And I am powerless over everything, not only over the food. Yes, I am powerless. And thank you, God, that I can choose now to be connected to God and to... Give away, give away, 100% my control. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Leah. Thanks so much, Rebecca. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. It's a lot to pull out of this paragraph. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. You know, we often hear in Overeaters Anonymous that our problem is physical, emotional, and spiritual. That's not what my book is teaching me here. The big book doesn't use the word emotional, actually, to describe uh, my problem. It uses the word mental. Mental. That's because um, my reason for returning to the food was just insane. It did not depend on how I was feeling at all, actually. You know, I could have a normal day. I could have the greatest day on, you know, everything could be going so well, and yet I would still, uh, you know, my mind would send me back to those foods that are killing me. So it's stressing here that I have a twofold illness. The first part of my addiction is that I'm powerless over food, as the doctor opin- doctor's opinion uh, taught us, that we get uncontrollable physical cravings when we eat certain foods. Uh, that's the allergy of the body. The second part is that we can't manage our lives in relation to our powerlessness over food. We get these mental obsessions uh, that force out all thoughts to the contrary and send us back to those foods and those eating behaviors that we know will cause us suffering and pain and the un 
uncontrollable cravings, and that's the obsession of the mind. Uh, the other part I just wanted to speak about is somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is a great obsession of every abnormal drinker, and we pursue that to the gates of insanity or death. And that description ultimately comes down to a very, very simple proposition that, like it or not, my mind kept persuading myself that I could be normal. That's what it is. It's not that I was emotionally deficient. It's that I had this mental twist that I would say to myself, oh, I can eat this now, or come on, this looks so good, I'll start again tomorrow. My experience no longer informed me. The fact that I kept getting burned over and over and over again, it was as if my pain had no memory. The fact that I had been unable to eat ice cream or eat certain other foods without getting that phenomenon of craving became irrelevant to the fact that right now I want this ease and comfort. Right now I can handle that. And that is the illusion and that's the mental obsession. And that's the insanity. That's the generic uh, definition of insanity. It was a belief in a reality that wasn't true. I, I, um, I resisted believing that this aspect was true, and I began to live on the assumption that these things simply aren't true, that I'd live my life on the assumption that I could eat candy, I could eat ice cream without a problem. And as humorous as that may sound to a normal eater or people who don't understand, I was willing to go for death rather than going for life. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Kathy, you're next. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And uh, I I can't even begin to count the number of times I read this paragraph and continued to believe that I was a bit different than most of us. Um, And it really stemmed from the fact that I never had a lot of weight to lose, Um, but I had the mental twist, I had the obsession, I had the physical craving. Um, I was as sick uh, and in disease as the next person, but I also carried around a lie, um, and that lie was that um, because I didn't have a lot of weight to lose, I actually have more control than the average compulsive overeater. And um, it took me a very long time, and it took me working through the steps, um, one step at a time, one page at a time, to really accept that I am abnormal when it comes to food and to really accept that the greater aspect of my disease is the mental obsession, um, the twisted thinking that on my own I could not begin to address or alleviate. Um, I am so grateful today that I was able, with the help of God and this community, uh, to break through that delusion um, and to accept that I truly am powerless and cannot manage my own life without the help of God. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Amy. Good morning. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your service and all who have shared. My name is Amy. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. I, too, want to focus on a couple of things people have mentioned. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. 
Well, I don't know about you all, but but why? Why have we been? Why was I unwilling? Well, this goes against everything in my character, in my nature, to what the will, to what the world says. My my upbringing was was hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do anything you put your mind to. All it takes is a little willpower. I kept coming up against this again and again and again that there should be some way that I can control this. And when we read in step one of the the, uh, AA 12 and 12 that we have warped our minds with such destructive eating that only an act of providence, an act of God, can relieve us of this obsession, this warping for me took place over a period of time. I kept thinking I could control my eating because there was a time when I was younger that the food didn't call to me. There was a time where I could eat and I could have some semblance of a control, where I could stay on a diet. But over a period of time and my destructive way of living my selfish and self-centered life and the way I reacted to life and how I wanted to live my life and how my character developed over time, I warped. At some point, I crossed over the line where that great obsession, where I couldn't differentiate the true from the, the false, Leah mentioned restless, irritable, and discontent. I mean, again, if we go to the doctor's opinion, men and women drink or eat essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontent until they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by only taking a few drinks or bites, the, the, the ones they see others taking with impunity. I couldn't see myself as an abnormal uh, eater because I kept fighting it, thinking that somehow, because I couldn't differentiate the true from the false, because my sick mind could not heal my sick mind and because I wasn't thinking sanely and my only life that I knew was my compulsive overeating life, I kept thinking that there was some way that I could control the way I ate and my ego would not let it go. I stated to the program of ego reduction again, 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 I came against myself because I thought there was a way to do it and my mind convinced me that that ease and comfort was the only thing that I had in life. I sought it with an obsession because I thought somehow I could control it and have that ease and comfort at the same time. You know, they say you can't have your cake and eat it too, but that's what I tried to do to the gates of insanity and death because of that obsession. At some point, I crossed the line, and there was no more control, and I had to come against it again and again and again. I mean, we just finished the chapter, There is a Solution. And we've said that the solution is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, and that personality change comes through working the steps, which gives us a relationship with a higher power that we desperately need in order to be recovered. I needed a relationship with a higher power to be restored to sanity because I could not do it myself. And yet here we are in more about alcoholism, again reminding us, because if I ever thought for a moment that, again, I could control my eating, I would be back. So here we are smashing it home, and we're going to talk about it in the next paragraph, that I must come to terms with the fact that my mind cannot heal my mind. And without a power greater than myself, I will not be restored to sanity because of this merciless obsession and that I am an abnormal drinker, I have an eater, and I have crossed that line. And there ain't no going back, folks. 
There ain't no going back. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Hi, my name's Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. We didn't get Amy's first initial of her last name. Um, Are you available, Amy, for that? Amy G. Sorry. Thank you. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, I'm Lorraine. I believe it's from New Jersey. (laughs) Lorraine, one sec. Is anyone else going to want to share after Lorraine on this paragraph? Okay, Lorraine, you'll be our last share on this paragraph. Go ahead. I never understood how people couldn't understand about bulimics. I got to have my cake. I got to eat it, too, and I got to get rid of it. I I found the way to get rid of it. So I reached, reached, and reached for this over the years, and I used it and used it till it was, till it almost killed me. After three rehabs, after an electrolyte imbalance, after nine months of pregnancy, binging and vomiting through the whole nine months, 40 and 50 laxatives a day, but I found the secret to eating, having my cake and eating it too. I would throw my guts up. Funny thing is, I look back sometimes, and um, my ex-son-in-law, when I first met him, my husband and I swore that my daughter was marrying beneath her because his family was this, and they were lower class. I had every, I, I labeled them with every label, and yet I never looked at the fact, here I sit, all prim and proper, and I just might have thrown up three or four times, took 40 and 50 laxatives, but I'm judging his family as being less than me. You know, it's really crazy how this disease fools us, how it still at times says to me, well, Lorraine, it'll pass in my mind. You could you could have that and, and get rid of it. It's a very, very cunning and baffling uh, thought in my brain. And um, today I know that I can't eat and vomit and get away with it because when I do that, it still makes me as crazy as the next person who keeps their food down. Also, I have like tire tracks around my whole mouth after years and years of bulimia. That always reminds me of what I did to myself. I'd like to get rid of them, but someday maybe that'll happen. Thank you for letting me share. Lorraine? Yes? What is the first initial of your last name? B. B as in boy? As in boy. Thank you, Lorraine. You may have said it, but I was a little distracted. Thank you. Uh, Sharon R.S., could you read the next paragraph, beginning with, we learned that, on page 30? Absolutely. Good morning, Rebecca, and good morning to all of you visionaries on the line. I'm Sharon R.S., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery, the delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. So this is a short paragraph, three sentences, and there's a couple of words I want to start off by defining. Uh, The first is concede. What does that mean? It means to submit to be true, to grant to yield, to allow, to acknowledge. And the other word is delusion. 
what is a delusion? It, it sounds serious. And it actually is. It means to be misled or deceived or tricked. Misled, deceived, or tricked. Uh, it is also a, it's a persistent, false, psychotic belief. So uh, we have to fully concede to our innermost selves, that inside self, that why the innermost selves, not why not just to ourselves? We have to get it beyond our false self. There's a, there's um, some people say, well, why can't I get recovered? And sometimes it's because we only accept on the surface. We want to get recovered, yet we want to keep doing the same thing because we don't want to accept it in our innermost selves. That that part of us beyond the the facade that we put on to other people. We need to concede to our innermost self that um, we are compulsive eaters. that we are, we cannot control our eating. Once we begin, we cannot stop. It is beyond our control. And uh, this is the first step. This is where we begin. We admit our lies that we um, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step, fully conceding this, fully accepting this in ourselves, to ourselves, not uh, just because we think we should, because other people are doing it. This is a very personal acceptance. This is a personal a commitment that we do on our own, ourselves, individually, we have to accept and admit this. And what and what we're admitting to, it was really, really hard for me to accept that um, I was, you know, when, when the, the 12 steps called me insane, you know, that I had some sort of insanity. What do you mean insanity? Well, if you look at that word delusion, that misleading myself, that's what I'm doing, deceiving myself, tricking myself over and over again. Uh, this persistent false uh, psychotic belief, that's, that's an insanity that needs to be uh, accepted. And, 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 um, and here I went over and over again trying to pretend and fake and act like I could be like other people. Uh, oh, they eat a little bit. I'll just eat a little bit when I'm with them. And and then I go behind their back and just stuff my face. Um, that is an insanity. There's a delusion there. Uh, and I'm, I'm not conceding to my innermost self the things that I do with food. And until I can do that, until I can smash I think Randy needs to stop, but uh, even though I'm doing that to myself. But with that, I'm going to pass. Bye-bye. Thank you, Sharon R.S. This like is Deborah. May I share? And this is uh, Paula Deborah. from New Hampshire also. Paula D. Who was after Deborah? Renata. Was there another person besides Renata? Sarah W. Paula D. Okay. Yes, there are. 
Did you say Marissa? No, Nese R after Paula. Could you repeat your name? N E S E H Nese. Got it. I have Deborah, Renata, Sarah, Paula, and Nessa. And if we get, I don't know if we'll have time for all of you, but please say your first initial of your last name when you speak. Deborah, go ahead. Thank you. And good morning, everyone. This is Deborah R. from Michigan. And uh, I would like to share that um, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost doubts that we were alcoholics me the food addict. Uh, this is the first step in recovery. And uh, from what we've read previous chapters, doctor's opinion, Bill's story, more, um, there is a solution. It paints a picture of me very clearly that um, it kind of felt like a Dr. Jekyll Mrs. Hyde. You know, sometimes I could control my food, sometimes I could not. And I did a lot of eating in secrecy. And for me, uh, I'm intelligent. I've got um, a degree and um, I've done well with work and other things. And yet the compulsive overeating, um, you know, was like the biggest puzzle I couldn't solve myself. And um, I can identify with what was said before. You know, I grew up where, you know, just a little willpower. You just, you know, work a little harder. You can get this, you know, put it down. And it had to be smashed for me. I finally, uh, I've heard, you know, I can surrender. Okay, you got my number. I'm a compulsive overeater. I intellectually understand that. However, not until... um I'm sorry, the word submit, I can submit to that. I can, you know, like two and two is four. There's no way I can get around it. Okay, I'm a, I'm a compulsive overeater. You've described me to a T. I belong here. But until I could surrender and just say, I give up, I'll push, get on my knees, push that penny to China, whatever you want, just tell me what to do, and I won't fight you. I, I'm just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's, when I really could, um, you know, say I, I made it through. I don't want to say made through because the mind's a fantastic organism that, you know, still wants to teach me that uh, maybe I'm not as bad as the rest, but that will come later. So for now, um, I, you know, back in the day I surrendered, and I am glad I did, and I followed those that went before me because they certainly had something I did not. I pass. Thank you, Deborah R. Renata. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Renata G., recovered composable reader from New York. We learned um, that we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. You know, to me, what that meant was when I fully conceived that I was a real compulsive overeater. I had to know that, you know, I have an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind, like it was said, you know, and like with the allergy of the body, I had to know that I cannot ingest my alcoholic foods no matter what. 
you know, it's really like looking at them like if they were poison. Once I ingest them, I don't know what's going to happen. It could, it could kill me. It could take years for me to, to get abstinent again. Uh, I don't know. I have no control. And so when I fully conceive that, it is not an option to ingest my trigger foods. I don't make excuses. It doesn't matter if I, for example, forgot my lunch at home and I'm going to be hungry for a few hours or if someone cooked something specially for me or uh, whatever the situation or they make uh, one of my alcoholic foods uh, in the organic kind now and it's you know, specialty or whatever, it doesn't matter. It cannot go in my body no matter what. And then the other part of it, of course, you know, the obsession of the mind that will tell me to eat the foods I cannot eat. Uh, You know, when I fully conceive that I am powerless over this obsession, I don't entertain those thoughts. I don't try to fight it. I use, you know, I had to really lean on the fellowship and use the tools until I could get through with the 12 steps. Um, you know, every time I tried to fight the obsession of the mind, I lost. Every time I tried to use my willpower not to eat, it didn't work. And so when I came to this program, I really leaned on the fellowship. I picked up the phone and I did whatever it took not to pick up that first bite. You know, I had to use the tools to get rid of that obsession temporarily, you know, sometimes for an hour or two, and uh, but to gain time to work on the steps because the 12 steps were the only thing that worked to quiet that voice, that obsession in my head. You know, like the book says, the you know, this practical program of action is the only thing that is, sufficient to spell the obsession to to compulsively eat. And, uh, you know, every time I had to to pick up the phone and ask for help, that's, you know, that's an act of humility. And that's what this program will teach me. And uh, that's why I want to share things like that. Thank you. Thank you, Renata G. Sarah? Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, family. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. My name is Sarah W. from Iowa. Um, One of my very favorite parts of the book, I've heard it read many times at um, different fellowship meetings uh, in the very beginning as the opening, and it's it's very powerful. And, um, you know, I think to myself when I say the word, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I am so grateful that I am a compulsive overeater. I truly am. And um, and what I know is that I have to have this admission in my heart of hearts as my foundation every day of my life that it doesn't just go away when I get recovered, that I have to remember in my heart that I will live uh, the rest of my life and that I am a compulsive overeater and that, you know, I have been saved from... Uh, acting out in my disease because I work the steps every day and continue to stay in the steps uh, by working with others and by continuing to work on my own self. 
And the great hope is that, um, as it says on page uh, 124, because, you know, I want to put a lighter spin, you know, there are people that are listening to this for the first time. And, yes, we do have to snatch home the idea that, you know, we are this. This is what we are. We come here not because we need a diet program. Obviously, those things haven't worked. I mean, you know, most of us have tried basically just about everything. But on page 124, it says, and I hope you can really hear this, cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And so with the steps, we can avert death and misery for ourselves and help others. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Paula. And thank you. This would be Paula D. I am a compulsive overeater today, recovered there through the grace of God. I'd like to, as we look at these, this paragraph, and I, and I will try to make it short to keep room for. But it says here, and it begins: We learned. Oh, did we learn? And until this lesson is learned, you can go no further. I thought I could because, see, I would continue reading. I would continue moving along. I wasn't. My ego was telling me I was. I wasn't going anywhere because it would catch me again because I was chasing it. How does that happen? I'm chasing it, and it catches me. I thought it was the other way around. That was my ego. So then this is what I had to come into with, obsession, illusion. And now, the final blow, we learned, again, that we had to fully concede. Oh, conceded isn't enough. I conceded many times. But fully, totally, as was said from the depths. See, I thought it was to the heights. To the heights I must go. There my ego. Ego-driven I was. But no, it was to the depths. It was to the depths I must go. And only there, innermost selves, that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery, but it cannot be done without it. But then once this step is done, and it goes on, and I'd like to finish. This is this illusion that we are like other people are presently maybe, maybe, no maybes here. Here the certainty has to be smashed. Don't drop it on a wooden floor. Why don't you drop the glass on a tile floor? You ain't putting it together. No way you can put that together. The shrouds and all coming together. That's what had to happen. You can't put it together. Ego, too, had to be smashed. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Nessa, if you can try to keep it on the shorter side, that would be great. And it's wonderful that everyone who wanted to share so far was able to. Go ahead, Nessa. Will do. Thank you. My name is Nessa R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I, too, like the um, imagery of this last sentence. Um, the delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed, has to be shattered into small little pieces that it can never be glued together again. And the reason why uh, we need to do that um, is describing the very next sentence. We alcoholics have lost the ability to control our drinking. In my own personal experience, I don't think I lost the ability to control my eating. I don't think I had it in the first place. My early memories 
all have to do with food. My earliest memories all have to do with food. And um, none of them involve control of food. They all involve these, you know, even as a, as a little toddler, as a little girl, uh, these voracious appetite, um, you know, especially for the things that I like. So I never had any ability to control, um, especially the things that I really, really liked. Um, something that puzzled me about the big book was why more about about alcoholism was chapter three and not chapter two? Why, why after telling us what the solution is, we go back to this? And and um, you know the answer is because it describes the uh, the peculiar mental twist, you know the the subtle insanity that precedes the first drink, the um, our inability to say stop once. Um, once we uh, manage to stop, and the reason is, is is this: we have lost the ability to control our drinking, and our the stories will show, you know, how insidious that that insanity is, and therefore why it is so urgent that these delusions be be smashed beyond repair. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Okay. I want to thank everyone who has shared. We are now we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Will Susie K please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, Susie K, recovered from Paul. Peter in Maine. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God admit your faults to him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find, and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Susie Kay.